Hello and happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in to The Hill Talks. I'm Olivia, multimedia editor of The Hilltop with your weekly campus news roundup. Today, we'll start with an exciting sports update, then a reflection on Howard Student Theater before some more national news updates. Let's do it. For the very first time since 1992, the Howard men's basketball team are MEAC champions, and they went on to compete in the first round of the NCAA tournament. On Tuesday, there was a send-off celebration in front of Crampton Auditorium as the team boarded their buses to Iowa for the first game against Kansas University, the number one seeded team. Students, faculty, our president, and everyone else was out there and excited to wish them good luck in that fateful first game against the Jayhawks on Thursday the 16th. Unfortunately, the Bison did lose with the final score being 68-96. to After a very tight first half, Howard seemed to lose momentum. But either way, congratulations, Bison, on a historic season. Howard University's oldest student-run performing arts organization, the Howard Players, recently finished their run of A Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry. Now, this was the first time that the renowned play had been reenacted on Howard's campus since 1986. The play tells the story of a black family from the south side of Chicago who's trying to gain financial freedom through an insurance payout after the death of their father. A Raisin in the Sun, which gets its name from the Langston Hughes poem Harlem, highlights children of the Great Migration and does a really beautiful job of illustrating the societal issues and the nuances of housing discrimination, racism, assimilation, and all of the other hardships that Black communities had to face during the 1950s. So, joining me today to reflect more on the production is Zora Allison. She's a junior acting major and president of the Howard Players. Zora, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So, tell me first about your decision to revive A Raisin in the Sun at Howard after so long. What was that like? Over the summer, uh, the work really started um, in terms of like doing research on shows. And one of the main things I uh, wanted to highlight in my presidency is legacy, um, the legacy of the organization. Um, because last year I served as a parliamentarian, so I was very uh, familiar with the Constitution. And in the Constitution, there is a blurb about our history, and I became really invested in that. And seeing uh, like all the things Howard Players has done and the people Howard Players has produced, I really wanted to honor that and do something that was notoriously done with us specifically under the advisement of Professor Denise Hart. I went to her and asked her, um, what shows do we do? And the first show that she suggested to me was A Race in the Sun. And when she told me that the first, or the last time rather, that we did the show was 1986, I found that very interesting because I feel like it would be a show that's done more that immediately excited me. And then the significance of the show for Howard Players. I mean, one of our professors who is currently teaching now was in that last production. So can you talk a little bit more about your personal connection to the story? What did you think when you first saw the play or when you read it for the first time? 
I fell in love with the story. I'm a grandchild of the Great Migration. My grandparents are from various different places in the South, from Selma to Mississippi to Louisiana, Texas, all that good stuff. And very much connected to what it is to be um, Black in the Midwest. It's, it's very interesting to like navigate that or the, the subculture of it is very interesting. And so I, I was immediately connected um, to that in Chicago, so close to Milwaukee that like there's such a um, connected flow of information, of culture, of slang and all that stuff. And in the work that I choose to do, um, my main thing is doing it from a place of love and picking pieces that are written by playwrights who are writing for their people, not just for um, the appeasement of a wider um, multiracial audience. This is a Black play for Black people. And I fell in love with the story and the significance and what it means to have um, given this opportunity to um, the actors in the cast. What was the reaction like uh, from the rest of the Howard players and the, the would-be cast? It was the worst kept secret. Um, I tried to keep it a secret for so long. Once we officially, officially announced it, everyone was really, really excited. And um, during the casting process, um, because I'm an acting major, uh, I know these actors. And I was able to have conversations with them and they were able to come to me about their uh, thought process about potentially doing the show. And uh, the actress who played Benita, Timetrius in particular, was very like daunted by, by the project because Benita is such an iconic character and she was very nervous. Like the way that she was able to bring Benita to life and become a part of her was just so beautiful to see. And like, you could definitely see act the actors like step into their own power and like confidence with these roles to make those bold choices to like lift the text off the page. Cause it's a lot, it's a long script. It's very long. And so how did it go in hindsight? How do you, the cast and the rest of the Howard players feel about the show that you were able to put on? A lot of them are seniors um, who now have that like under their belt to say they did a raise in the sun and um, not only did it, but like, did it so beautifully and just brought so much of themselves to it. So I really fell, like, I love the story initially, but I fell in love with what they were able to create. I, I think what the most significant moment for me was the first time seeing the entire um, cast read it together on our first day of rehearsal. Um, because when you're reading a play yourself, you're not seeing the, the different mannerisms that, the, uh, the cast was able to bring to those characters. And it was so exciting because I saw um, some of their uh, callbacks and to see them all in the room together. And I admire all the actors who were in the project so much and um, seeing them like transform from that first day to um, our first official run through was just so beautiful. So I remember when I read A Raisin in the Sun for the first time, and the story really explores so many different and layered themes. But to me, one of the main messages that it tries to communicate is about the resiliency of our dreams. 
our dreams as individuals, our dreams as a community, and despite, you know, oppression and a lack of resources or whatever it is, if a community, if a family is united, they can end up achieving those goals. So I'm curious, what do you think the main and most important takeaway is from this story, and how is it applicable to Howard in our community? I knew that, like, of course, that legacy was a big part of this show, but, like, actually seeing it and seeing how every generation kind of has to sacrifice something um, so that the next one can be in a better position. And you saw that with Mama, who sacrificed everything, essentially, moving from the South, putting her life and love at risk with um, the husband and talking about how, at one point, um, Freedom was the thing that everyone needed. And then with Walter um, saying that, like, no, money is the, what we need. The loving sacrifice to be able to put one's own dreams on hold to make something happen for somebody else. Um, it sounds sad. It's, it, it, it sounds sad, but it's not. It's. It's a self selfless act, and it doesn't necessarily mean that your own dreams have to be on hold forever. It's just knowing what needs to happen in a moment. At the end of the day, um, like we all have our dreams, and everyone in our circle and our lives have dreams, but community is the biggest thing. And seeing the common ground in that, and even like on a less sentimental scale, like even like on campus, for example, like if you have friends who are in different majors than you. You guys all have like, different dreams, but at the core of your connection with each other is community and love. And I see that um, in this show as well. And those are most of my questions, Zora, but I always like to ask, what's something that we didn't talk about that you think is really important to leave people with? I think the one thing is that uh, a raising the sun being led or being written by a female playwright was something that was very important to us. And um, for me, crafting a female-driven production team as well as a directing team, I think that's very important and things that we need to see more. There's not a lot of Black women behind the scenes. It's always wonderful to see Black women act and um, get their flowers there, but bringing female writers and directors and producers and technicians and all that stuff. Um, it's also very important. I think that's something that um, Raising in the Sun was able to kind of bring to the campus a bit more. All right, Zora, thanks for coming. Thank you so much for reaching out. And to read more about this production of A Raisin in the Sun, read the full Hilltop article. It'll be linked below. In some pandemic news this week, last Saturday marked three years since the coronavirus was declared a global health pandemic. Now, the White House announced that the national emergency regarding COVID will end on May 11th. This means that hospitals across the country have to prepare to return to normal as workforce shortages, increases in the cost of medical supplies, and supply chain issues are all putting more pressure on the healthcare system. Now, despite this change in emergency status, Dr. Ebony Copeland, who is the director of the Howard University Student Health Center, 
told The Hilltop that this doesn't change the health recommendations. Vaccinations are still highly recommended, and currently the campus doesn't require masks, but they may be required at the discretion of certain professors. Regardless, she says that all of us should be making decisions regarding wearing masks based on our own personal health history and comfort levels. Lastly, a lot of people received various forms of financial support during the pandemic. The federal response has been weakened in Congress as Republican legislators have attempted to have the national emergency ended immediately. And Congress also did not approve a request from the White House for $22.5 billion in additional funding that would be distributed by the federal government. The Hilltop will continue to document how this change in emergency status may affect all of us. But in the meantime, read more about it online. It'll be linked below. And that's all from me this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Hilltalks podcast, your weekly roundup, Sincerely the Hilltop. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about today. And until next time, I'm Olivia Green in truth and service.